I'll make some announcements and then we'll look at uh, page 45, session number six together. Our next event on our calendar is the uh, ice skating event one week from Saturday, the 17th. And that's it from two to four at the Icebox Arena, uh, Saturday the 17th. And it's $3 for skating and for rental of skates. And you have to have a wristband for that to show that you pay. That's your ticket. And we have the wristbands over at the Resource Center. So go there today or next uh, Sunday and uh, pay for the number of folks that you have coming. They'll give you the wristbands. And that's on Saturday the 17th, 2 to 4. The following day, two weeks from today, two Sundays from today, is the end of our five-Sunday ministry center fund. And the last three Sundays, including this one, you have had inserted in your program a card. On the front it says Third and Goal Ministry Center Fund. The Third and Goal refers to the fact that we have just entered the third five-year period in the existence of our church, and we have had a 15-year plan uh, for our church for 10 years now. So we are trying to move toward all of the goals in that 15-year plan. Every year we seek to accomplish some of those, and by God's grace we're able to do that and tick them off. And we would love it if we get to the end of those 15 years and God's allowed us to achieve all of them. One of them is the acquisition of a what we call a ministry center. And uh, ministry center, as the name suggests, is a place, a center where ministry occurs. That includes the gathering of God's people. If it's a, bi- a building large enough, uh, and the one that we're considering purchasing is. Uh, if not, then we would continue to meet here, but we would have a place where we would carry on ministry throughout the week. So that's been our objective for several years. We have found this building, and uh, we have a purchase agreement on it, and we are looking to make that our ministry center if we can get the ducks in a row for that. And all, most all of the ducks are aligning, but there's a very important one, which is we need some, some funds Uh, over the next several weeks in order to make that happen. Most of you got my email about that. Many of you were at the family meeting we had on February 12th about that. And uh, uh, we're asking every family in our church then to, over these five weeks, to participate in whatever way you are able, to the greatest extent you are able, whatever that is. And, of course, it's different for everybody. And I will not see who has participated and, and who hasn't. I hope everyone will, but I won't know. And I certainly won't know uh, to what extent folks have participated. That is uh, our policy. We don't, I don't look. Pastor Matt does not look. We don't ask. And we're not given figures about individual giving. So if that helps set your mind at ease a little bit. But the only people who will know what you've committed to are you, the Lord, and the guys in our church who uh, count the money from, from week to week. They'll take that card, that ministry center fund card, and they will uh, keep that. And uh, by the 18th, two weeks from today, we will know what has been committed toward this project. Now, we say on the card, we don't need the money now. We just need to know what the commitments are. We'll probably need the money in May if we go ahead and close on the, on the building, okay? So that's what's going on. Pray about that. Every family participate to the greatest extent you can. And then three weeks from today, four weeks from today, it, April 1st, in the afternoon, we uh, are going to have a three-and-a-half-hour informational meeting. It's our annual servant seminar. We do that every year at this time of year, 4.30 to 8 o'clock at the Westfield Activity Center in Trenton, same place where we had our 10-year anniversary dinner, for those of you that were attended that, right behind the Trenton Library. And so we'll take uh, three-and-a-half hours to go through some important issues related to the Ministry Center project. Now, 
If we come to April 1st and the commitments aren't sufficient, then it might be a three-minute meeting instead of a three-and-a-half-hour. <laughs> no, that'll be our servant seminar, and the truth is if it's not this building, we're looking to prepare for whatever building the Lord has for us. And there are a number of things for us to prepare ourselves for before we move into a building, whatever building that is. So we'll go over those things anyway. It'll be a profitable time in any case, and it's a time that we're asking all of you to set aside, if you can, uh, to come. Todd, Todd, will you open that door right there? Rich is trying to get in. Thanks. <laughs> hey, welcome. Oh, you don't want to come in. Okay. We... <laughs> I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> oh, man. What a professional joint we have here, isn't it? You know? <laughs> so, April 1st, mark that, 4 30 to 8 o'clock. Two weeks after that, April 15th, if we are moving forward with the Ministry Center project, we'll have a family meeting, congregational meeting at the same location, and we will have a final vote of the congregation to proceed with closing on that building. So there are still some ducks that need to be put in a row, not least of which is this financing thing, and that will be going on over the next couple of weeks. So pray about your participation. Each family participate to the greatest extent you can, and then we'll accept as from the hand of the Lord whatever he has for us in that regard. Okay? One of the principles for our church from its very beginning has been this, that being precedes doing that what you are comes before what you do. That you should concentrate on being a Christian before trying to act like one. That we collectively as the church should concentrate on being the church before we try to present ourselves to the community as the church. So we need to have and, and uh, display the character qualities of Christ-likeness, and as a church, the character qualities of, all, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We need to be before we do. And I think you all can see the hazards of reversing that, doing before being. And yet, that's what many of us fall into. We fall into the mistaken notion that if I'm going to please the Lord, I need to do something. Now, if we're going to please the Lord, we need to serve the Lord. But we serve the Lord out of who we are and our relationship with Him. And we serve the Lord not out of obligation or to punch my card or to put in my time, but because we revel in the fact that He has deigned to give us the privilege of being His servants. And therefore, because we are His servants, and we love the fact that we are His servants, then we want to serve Him. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments, Jesus said, John 15. Why do we obey? Not in order to get something, but because we've already been given something, a relationship with our God. Because we love Him, we obey Him and want to, to please Him. So this idea of being preceding, coming before doing is extremely important. We've actually tried to bake it into, believe it or not, the structure of our church every Sunday. There are a number of reasons that I give in our newcomer's orientation. So if you haven't had that and you're a newcomer, April 1st will be our four-week newcomer's orientation, which will give you information about our church during this hour in a class that I teach going through some material. So I encourage you, if you're new and wondering about us, 
Take that. It'll give you information, and you're under no obligation. But I explain in that class some of the reasons that we do stuff as weird as we do here. And one of the things that's a little bit different is the fact that we have worship first, and then this hour, the educational hour, second. Most churches have educational hour, then worship. And I explain there that we don't do that just to be different, that there's actually a rationale to it, a number of reasons. But one of them is this, that we want to have this interaction fellowship time and then a time of outreach to the community. As you know, many of the series we do in this hour are outreach series. We send mailers to the community, invite people to come. So here's what that means. During the refreshment time that we just concluded and the times when we have outreach series during this hour. We, as Community Baptist Church, are serving one another and serving others as we interact with each other, encourage one another, and so forth, and then as we welcome newcomers into our our midst. But before we engage in that service of encouraging each other and welcoming those from the outside, we want to focus on who we are in Christ. Being precedes doing. And so it uh, just naturally flows very well for us to spend the 9.30 hour and a half and focus on our blessings in Christ and then come together and encourage one another and then welcome those from, from the outside. Being precedes doing. And if that is not straight, if we don't get that straight, if we are not focusing on who we are and what we are in Christ before we do, we're going to look like hypocrites, right? People who just do stuff. And do stuff because we're told to do stuff and we want to look a particular part. And heaven knows that Christianity has been besieged by too much of that. And we've all seen that. Perhaps we've done that. To some extent, all of us have done that. And so this principle, being precedes doing, is extremely important for the testimony of of the Lord. Christianity is not a Christianity of works. It's not a works-oriented religion. That is, our relationship with God is not secured nor maintained by the things that that we do. And yet, it's very easy for us to seek to point people to what they do in order to be right with God. Even though we know it's not a works-oriented religion. Now, how do we do that? Take a look at page 45. Second paragraph asks a good question. It says, think think for a moment. What one thing should I do to grow more as a Christian? If someone asks you that, how would you respond? Would you suggest some basic spiritual discipline, reading the Bible, praying, finding Christian friends, repenting of sin, learning theology? Now, the truth is, for most of us, that would be the answer that we would give. It's the answer that many of us have given over the years. You know, I just don't feel close to God. We'll do some more. Here's some stuff for you to do. And it's a very good list, of course, of things to do. These are things we ought to do. But the very first place we ought to focus is on being before doing. We ought to focus on why it is that our hearts are adrift from the God that we are called to love. And you see in the middle of page 45 an example of this from the life of Je- the ministry of Jesus. 
The crowds brought this exact query to Jesus in John 6. And his answer was, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. Now they're asking Jesus what they must do to live a life that pleases God. Jesus answers, the work is to believe. In other words, the Christian life is not about doing, but believing. And getting it right is crucial to sanctification. Most of us are naturally doers. We gladly embrace the next project, the next challenge, next assignment. So our pursuit of Christian maturity produces a lot of busy effort, but little lasting change. Just let that sink in. A lot of busy effort, but little lasting change. Why? Because we're doing too much and believing too little. Doing all kinds of good stuff, but failing to step back and ask the crucial questions about where my heart is in this, literally is my heart in it, and why am I doing what I'm doing? Now, there are two extremes with regard to this, this doing too much and believing too little. And I've encountered these two extremes over the, over the years in trying to help folks grow and counseling them. It's not in your book, so I'll give it to you. Two extremes with folks. You get folks who do an extraordinary amount of stuff, engage in a lot of activity. And they do so partly because of this extreme. They see themselves, though they don't know it, they see themselves as many, M-I-N-I, small, mini messiahs. A mini messiah. That is, I have to take care of it. If it's going to get done, I got to do it. I'm the one who comes through in the clutch. I'm the one everybody looks to. I've got the fastest right hand in the West. Who'll do it? Right? Volunteer for everything because everything depends on me. You think about all that goes into that. You think about the wrong gospel thinking that goes into that. That it depends on me. And you think about where that guy or gal can go very easily. They can very easily get burned out, can't they? Just keep doing stuff, keep doing stuff. Looking around them, they're going, why is anybody else doing stuff? Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Mary and Martha. And, and what's Martha doing? Busy? Do, do, do. And she's looking around saying, Mar Mary's not doing anything. And not only that, Lord, do something with her. Not only am I ticked at her, I'm ticked at the Lord. So this is having this ill effect on Martha, this do first and be later idea. And many of us are afflicted with that, are tempted toward, toward that. So you've got the one extreme, which is to be a mini Messiah. It all depends on me. That will wear you out and burn you out. I've had to learn this like all of us have to, to learn this, and I'm still learning it. But I'll tell you, it really comes in handy when you're engaged in a building project. 
and you're on a high wire without a net, and you say, we got five weeks to come up with a lot of money. Well, what's plan B? I don't know. Well, that could keep you up at night. But because God has been teaching me this over the years, not because I'm a great guy, believe me, but just God has been teaching me this. It doesn't depend on me. And this church is not my church. And Jesus said, I will build my church. And I believe him. He'll build his church. So we do the best we can with it. And then we don't worry about it. So it comes in handy on the projects of your life too. What you are worried about at work. The pressure that's being put on you at work. But if I don't do it, they'll fire me. It all depends on me. It doesn't all depend on you. You work in the strength that God provides and then you don't worry about it. It's one of the most valuable lessons I, I, I learned early on in my working career. I'll tell you the story, but when I was working in the computer industry, I noticed that I was a consultant, so I'd spend six months or a year here and went to different places, and I noticed that many of the managers for whom I worked had a little test that they did. I saw this pattern. Early on in your tenure, it would get to be about 5 o'clock, which is supposed to be quitting time, Long about quarter to five or so, they would call you in their office. And they would have an hour-long conversation with you. Now, we've had eight or nine hours prior to that. So the first couple times that happened, I'm trying to figure it out. And this is before the days of cell phones and, you know, being able to text your wife and say, I'm not going to be there and all of that. So I'm worried about that while I'm trying to listen to him. But then as I'm driving home, I'm going, why, why do they do that? And over time, I realized that many of them do this as a test of your loyalty. And if you succumb to that, you have set a precedent that will last the entire time you're there. So when that began to happen, I said politely but respectfully, hey, I've got to go. Well, might they fire you? Yeah, they might. But if they do, it doesn't all depend on me. And I have other things, not because I trust, not because I'm lazy, but because I have other priorities. This job is not my life. That building on Benson and Trenton is not my life, and it's not our church. You think about the thing that keeps you up at night and ask yourself, is that my life? And do you know the one answer to, to what, not what, but who your life is? It's Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, my life is hid with God in Christ. That's my life. Christ is my life. And if that thing that's keeping me up is anything other than just the joy of Christ and praying to Him and praising Him, <laughs> then as we're going to see on the following pages, we've made an idol out of that thing. So one temptation is to be a mini Messiah. It all depends on me. The other extreme is to be God's vacationer. Jesus did everything. And, and so, I'm going to kick back and not do anything. So I'm God's vacationer. And I look at all these people that are serving the Lord and all that, and using their gifts and abilities for Him, and I'm wondering, what's wrong with you people? I'm, I'm just digging the joy of Jesus. 
Kick him back on the beach of salvation. Going to heaven and knowing it and loving it. And you guys are all just running around like chickens with your heads cut off. Why don't you kick back like me? And yet, much of your Bible is given to things that we ought to do because of who we are. And because we love the Lord. And out of gratitude to Him. So you can be a mini Messiah, you can be God's vacationer, and of course both of those are wrong approaches to take. The truth of the matter is, it is possible to work for the Lord very, very hard. And still have rest and peace. How do I know this? One of the chief characters in our Bibles is a guy named Paul. How hard did Paul work? There is nobody in this room, none of us, that have approached what that guy did. None of us have approached the things that that guy went through. And yet he would, and he would acknowledge the difficulties, the hardships. He would write about them. And then he would say, this is my paraphrase, it's all good. Peace and rest. In the midst of proper activity that flows out of who he is in Christ. Not doing things in order to gain Christ. Let's take a look at a couple of those passages from Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, just listen as I read. 2 Corinthians 4. Get an idea of his perspective as he was tremendously busy, but at peace and rest at the same time. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now, friends, you have read that a bunch of times. And I'd be willing to wager, if I were a betting man, you haven't caught the full import of just that one profound verse. Since, that is because, we have this ministry, that is, this place of service, ministry of service, because this place of service that we have is from the mercy of God. That's the reason we do not lose heart. You see that? Or to put it another way, since I know the gospel really well, says Paul, and because I know that a chief component of the gospel is my own sin and what I deserve, I know that anything God allows me to do in His vineyard is a matter of His mercy. I don't deserve it. He lets me do this. And since, therefore, it is by God's mercy that I have this ministry, I don't lose heart. I don't find myself going, where's everybody else? What's everybody else doing? Why do I have to do this? 
He is heartened. He doesn't lose heart because he knows that he has this ministry as a gift, a privilege from Almighty God, even with all of its hardships. I ask you, do you think about the tasks that God has assigned to you that way? This is a gift from God, even if it's a difficult task. It's by the mercy of God. If we see it that way, we will not lose heart. Now, what kind of mercy? You say, well, you know, maybe he had it fairly cushy. <laughs> Take a look at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Notice he calls it treasure. A mercy and a treasure. But it's in my body, which is a jar of clay and can be broken. But that's to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And this is a mercy and this is a privilege and it's a treasure for me, Paul, to be able to do this, despite the fact that it's hard. Therefore, I don't lose heart. And he repeats this, I don't lose heart, at the end, down at verse 16. Because I see it as God's mercy and this privilege, a treasure. Therefore, he repeats what he said in verse 1, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Being precedes doing. And every day, I'm focusing on who I am and being renewed day by day, says Paul. Therefore, I don't lose heart. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Now, I'll let you just jot down chapter 6, verses 3 through 10. Chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, Paul gives a long list of the kinds of stuff that he endured and went through. So why no? Now, here's the question. If you say to yourself, I am burned out, I don't, I don't want to see your hand, but how many of us have said that? Probably all of us. I'm burned out. And yet the truth is, there's none of us that can hold a candle to all of the stuff that Paul engaged in. How is it that we get burned out and he didn't? And the answer is what he said in verse 16 of chapter 4. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly, being re renewed day by day, focusing on the fact that this is a mercy of God. It is treasure. It is a privilege from God for me to be able to serve Him in my meager way. And so, what is the fix then for our external burnout, attitude, 
upset at other people because they're not doing what we, we're doing? What's the, what's the answer to that? The answer is inside out. So back to the question that was asked on page 45. If somebody were to ask you, what should I do in order to, incre- in order to grow in my spiritual walk, if you're going to give them a list of do this, this, and this, take two of these, see me in the morning, then we don't have it quite right. What we should do is say, let's focus on who you are and the privileges and the mercies you've been given. And watch that motivate you the way it did Paul. It's an inside out, not an outside in. It's not do this and then you will be motivated. It's focus on the mercy, privilege, treasure and allow that to to motivate you. So it's inside out, as I say, not outside in. If you try to do it outside in, here's what you'll do. You'll do what Paul Tripp calls uh, apple stapling. Here's what he means by that. He says, you know, I used to have an apple tree in my backyard. And the thing had some kind of disease, and the apples were lousy. And, you know, I tried things. I tried to buy stuff that would help it, cure it, and all of that. Nothing, nothing happened. He says, now, what if I decided, you know what, we're going to get good apples off that tree. And I go out and start stapling apples to the tree. Now, we laugh about it, but the truth is in our spiritual lives, very often that's the kind of thing we do. We start from the outside rather than the root. We look at the symptoms rather than the root. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 46, Luke 6, 43 through 46, a good tree brings forth good fruit. And a bad tree brings forth bad fruit. So if you and I have got this pity party, bad attitude, snarky comments, I think we would agree that's bad fruit. And Jesus says that comes from a bad root. And what needs to be fixed then is the root. And in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 46, Jesus calls the root our heart. The heart is the problem. So if you look at the bottom of page 45, you see our surface sins are only symptoms of a deeper problem. Underneath every external sin is a heart idol, a false God that has eclipsed the true God in our thoughts or affections. To paraphrase Martin Luther, every sin is in some way a breaking of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Luther wrote, as the first commandments, the very first, highest, and best, from which all the others proceed, so also its work, that is, faith or confidence in God's favor at all times, is the very first, highest, and best, from which all other works must proceed, exist, remain, be directed, and measured. In other words, keeping God primary is foundational to spiritual growth, or, in Paul's words, being renewed day by day. The key to gospel-driven transformation is learning to repent of the sin beneath the sin. See, we repent of the external sin, the symptom, but there's a sin under that. And that's the deeply rooted idolatry and unbelief that drive our more visible sins. And they give a case study. And the case study I appreciate very much because 
They don't say, you know, suppose somebody's engaging in the sin of fornication or adultery. And so that, you know, lets a bunch of us... Yeah, I'm glad they, yeah, I'm glad they used this example. Because you don't want to use an example that lets 90% of us off the hook. They use gossip, which lets none of us off the hook. So notice what they say. In that second paragraph, as a case study, let's take the surface sin of gossip, talking about people behind their backs in judgmental or destructive ways. Why do we gossip? What are we looking for that we should be finding in God? Here are some common heart idols that can manifest themselves in the surface sin of gossip. I want approval. I want the approval of the people that I'm talking to, and so I talk down other people. The idol of control, using gossip as a way to manipulate, control others. Reputation, I want to feel important, so I cut someone else down verbally. Success, someone's succeeding, I'm not, I gossip. Security, talking about others masks my own insecurity. The idol of pleasure, someone else is enjoying life, I'm not, I attack her. The idol of knowledge, talking about people is a way of showing that I know more. Recognition gets people to notice me. Respect, that person disrespected me, so I'm going to disrespect him. All of these idols are false saviors promoting false gospels. Every one of these, approval, control, reputation, success, security, pleasure, knowledge, recognition, respect, is something, now get this, we already have in Jesus. But when we're not living in light of the gospel, we turn to these idols to give us what only Jesus can truly give. Another way to identify your particular idol is to ask, what is it that I love, trust, or fear? Or let me give you another way. Fill in the blank. If only I had blank, I would be satisfied. If only I was blank, I would be satisfied. And whatever you put in that blank other than Jesus is an idol for you. And yet, you get grumpy, as I said earlier, snarky, because the money's tight. If only we had more money, that's what you're doing there. If only we had more money, I would be satisfied. We don't have more money, I'm ticked. And you're going to know about it. Stuff's falling apart at the house. You know, the, 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 the gutters are falling off. All right, we, we need to fix them. I don't have time to fix them. I don't have the money to fix them. If only I had a house with cool gutters. I'm just getting down. I'm telling you, just regular stuff every day. If only fill in the blank. And many of you spend your lives pursuing that sort of stuff so that you can be content. So we need to ask ourselves very honestly, how do I fill in that blank? If only I had blank, I would be satisfied. If only I was blank, I would be satisfied. And if those blanks are filled in with anything other than Jesus, then that thing or that person has become an idol for us. Third paragraph on that page. Reflecting on the sin beneath our sin shows why the gospel is essential for true heart change. 
It's possible to repent of surface sins for a lifetime and never address the deeper heart issues. At the moment I sin, I've already broken the first commandment. An idol has taken God's place in my soul. I'm trusting in that idol rather than in God to be my Savior. I need to apply the gospel by repenting of my heart idolatry and then believing. That is turning my mind toward the specific gospel promises that break the power of my characteristic idols. Now, bottom of that page, and we'll be done. Let's go back again to our example of gossip. Let's imagine that I've identified respect as the dominant idol that drives me to gossip. After I acknowledge my sin and repent of it, I exercise faith in these two ways. I pause and worship Jesus because he laid aside his right to be respected. Becoming humbled to the point of death. And second, I remind myself of the gospel truth that I no longer need to crave the respect of others because I have the approval of God through faith in Jesus. What a liberating, liberating thing. And you can do that with every one of these heart idols, friends. Apply the gospel and say, what is it that I am not failing, what I'm failing to believe with regard to gospel truth? And say, do I really believe that? And if I do that, it becomes a very liberating thing. And for many of us, this would mean release from stuff that we've struggled with for years and years, and we've stapled apples to that rotten tree. May God grant us the grace to apply gospel truth to the struggles that we have in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this Lord's Day the opportunity to be together and learn and encourage. Thank you for our first hour to be able to sing praise to you, to give back to you, and to uh, see in your word where the real battle lies. It's a spiritual battle, one that is much, 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 much too great for us. We thank you for our great champion, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who has won the victory for us. Help us, Lord, to to look to him as our great captain and the savior of our souls. And I thank you for this time to look at the idols that so subtly but effectively control our hearts. Help me, Lord, not to be deceived by the deceiver. Help my brothers and sisters here to no longer be deceived by what's motivating Help us to see what we saw in the first hour, that every time I sin, I'm being used as a tool of Satan. This is an extremely serious matter. And help me to see that every time I sin, it's a heart matter. That my heart has drifted from the true and living God, and I have made a Messiah, a Savior, out of someone or something. Thank you for the gospel and the truth that in Jesus Christ we are accepted in the Beloved even though we are far, far, far from what we should be. And because of that, may we not try to perform before a holy God and an absolutely perfect God in order to gain our standing. May we stop trying to pretend before others that we're better than we are. Help us to rest in the truth of who we truly are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as our brother Paul, see it as mercy a privilege, treasure to be used of him in his world. Go with us this week and use us this week 
in the parts of your world to which you have called us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.